It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning once again, sports fans, and welcome to Illini Phillips Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock this morning. Mr. Tate is in the house. As we get rolling with the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. Have any comments on that basketball game last night? Sold out State Farm Center, 15,544 folks. You think we should ask for comments on that game? Sure. (laughs) Not everybody's going to be happy, even with a 15-point win. 15-point win, wasn't it? Against a Big Ten team that was a preseason number five team and uh, preseason favorite, perhaps, to uh, win the Big Ten. And anytime you beat Michigan, I think that's a good thing. You bet. That's the fourth straight win over the Wolverines. 68-53 to was the final last night. And Illinois continues to find ways to do it when uh, not everything is working uh, as they What might. a finish again by Trent Frazier. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's becoming a, a force at the end of games. He's so confident, and he's getting in for those layups, you know, and uh, – he just kind of closed the game out for Illinois. Tremendous job. Plummer did the same. He knifed in there. Uh, Plummer yeah. knifed in there for a few layups himself. And but I thought the passes of uh, you know of Trent were were extremely good too. He set up uh, particularly uh, Jacob Grandison for that one three pointer, and then he made some nice passes to. To Kofi, I mean, he was he was a just he was a dominant force at the end of that game. Yeah, that one he threw to Grandison in the corner that was a bullet. Yeah, uh, that was very similar to the pass that he threw out top to Williams in that uh, previous game. The way they were playing defense made the cross court pass very effective because if you turn the ball, uh, if you pass to the guy next to you and you go all the way around the circle, by the time you get to the other side, the defense has readjusted. But when you can make the the long pass, then they have to run at the guy with the ball, and that that allows a guy like Plummer fake and go around pretty. If if you got a defender running at you, you can beat him pretty easy. Illinois goes to six and zero in the Big Ten, thirteen and three overall, ahead of the Monday morning game against Purdue. The Boilermakers uh, tuned up for that with a ninety two sixty five win over Nebraska last night. Coming up in Big Ten play today, Northwestern has had Michigan State at 11, Rutgers at Maryland at 1. A couple of more ball games tomorrow, Iowa at Minnesota, Penn State at Ohio State, and then the Purdue-Illinois game coming up Monday morning at 11. That game sold out as well. Our guest lineup, Mike Hagley from uh, IlliniGuys.com is here. We're going to chat with him for a few minutes, and then Brett Bielma will check in with us at, at 9.30 this morning. At 9.45, we'll visit with Mo Gardner, recently named to the College Football Hall of Fame. He's now a, at least a two-time Hall of Famer, maybe more than that. He's probably a, in his high school's Hall of Fame, too, I, I would guess. Is. But he's a Illinois Hall of Famer and uh, now a College Football Hall of Famer at uh, 9.45. He will join us. He lives in Atlanta these days after playing six years with the Atlanta, Hawk, or Atlanta uh, Falcons. And then at 10 o'clock, Josh Whitman will be in studio with us. Yeah, we've got the phone lines open, 
9397. Not everybody is, and you've quoted me on this before. I, I said, you know, a lot of Illini fans, and you, you could probably say fans anywhere, they're not happy unless they're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. And uh, I tell you what, to complain now, about. Now, be honest, though. Wasn't that a frustrating A lady, when I was leaving the game, she said, wasn't that wonderful? I said, well, the last four minutes, <laughs> you know, the last six minutes or so, that was wonderful. But the the first 30-some minutes were really frustrating because Illinois simply wasn't in the game. And they're getting out-rebounded on the offensive. I mean, here's a team that comes in and gets 15 offensive rebounds against supposedly the best rebounding team in the country. I mean, they were getting all the loose balls. But, you know, they, they just didn't shoot it very well. They only made one three in the game. Well, well, while all that was going on, Illinois continued to play good defense. So that, But I, I was kidding Kent Brown, who I sit to uh, next to down on press row. I said, first one to 20 in this first half, are they going to win? I, I was wondering <laughs> if they were going to get to 20, and then you wondered if they were going to get to 50. Yeah. But they got the win, and that's the name of that game. Hey, that's 13 in a row against Big Ten teams. Right. 13 in a row. I mean, that— how many times in history has that happened? Not many. I mean, just a few. I know it did in 2005 when they right. won them all until the last game with, with Ohio State. But, man, uh, that's an awful good run. Just had a text saying, I believe the Illinois ranking will change partway through the Purdue game. And that could very well happen if they're doing the the uh, balloting on Monday this week. I don't know if it'll be different because of the, the holiday or not, but the, the AP voting comes out Monday and Illinois plays Monday morning. So. Yeah, but the, that thing comes out around noontime. It does. It? I mean, it, I don't think you be, you think you'll be able to take the Illinois Purdue game into account. You I know. don't think so. No, those votes. Have I to think be the in. votes will already be in. I'm, I'm not certain they'll take Friday night's game in the way some of these guys vote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Illinois played Michigan. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> but Illinois is number 25 in uh, the poll as we stand right now. Purdue is number seven. So we'll see how that uh, – that's not all that important in the big picture, but uh, with that ball game coming up, but that should be a good one. Mike Hagley is the other voice you heard there from IlliniGuys.com. A year old now, huh? Yeah, we hit Are, our – Does that mean you're, you're a toddler now or – Yeah, well, my wife would say I'm not quite to that level of development. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're, we're one year old. Uh, that was on the 12th, January 12th. So we're real proud of the first year, and we've had a lot of support, you know, stations like WDWS and your guys' show, um, we've we've been real fortunate and we really had a lot of subscribers who jumped in behind us. So we've been very happy. And we think that, uh, you know, the fun thing is, is, is we want to be, and it goes back to what you guys were talking about, we think being a Illini fan should be fun. So we try to keep a positive, you know, uh, attitude out there on the boards and try to keep, you know, when we're doing our podcast, you know, we try to look at the, the glass half full. And to be honest with you, with the coaches we have right now, it's not real hard to be pretty optimistic. And I'm trying to think about Kofi. He's entered a new level that I've never seen an Illini player at. He gets 21 points, 10 rebounds, and people wonder if he feels good. I mean, how good do you have to be as a player that you can go 21 and 10 in a Big Ten game against Michigan and have people questioning if you feel good. And do that every night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> every night. Well, it's two away from the all-time record for double-doubles, right? Yes. Just two away from mm -hmm. the career. Yeah, he's got that locked up. And uh, 
And yeah. Frazier's climbing uh, the record book in a lot of different ways himself. And well, he's played. closing so well, Steve. That's yeah. the thing. He, he is, boy, that is vital. I mean, I think Underwood said, and this is a generalization, 75% of all Big Ten games are two possessions in the, in the final four minutes or however many minutes toward, toward the end of the game. He's right about that. I mean, most games are that way. And you got to have a closer. And we had a closer last year. We yes, had a closer yes. the last couple of years with Desumu. Right. But uh, he's kind of – it was interesting he said that uh, Io made him more confident at the end of the game. He saw how Io did it. I mean, it's just it's just taking, taking charge. You know, last night in that ball game, the way it started to play out, I said, this is a game where you need a guy like Corbello in there to – Yeah, they needed him yes. bringing the ball out. They really yep. did. They, they had, they had trouble handling. there, yep. Yeah, they really did. And once again, they're trying to use uh, uh, Williams at that spot, and it, it just doesn't work. And yet, <laughs> keep trying, but every time he kind of penetrates it, it ends up badly. Yes, I, I I will say Frazier has done something that you see a lot in the Underwood era. You know, he's really added uh, attacking the basket to his game more so than ever before. Both he and Plummer attack are left-handed, and they both attack from the left-hand side. You cannot let that happen. Yep. You've got to force them right. If you force them right, they won't even go in. Yeah. And yet and yet they somehow were able to get that edge and, and come in from the left-hand side. They've been doing it all their life. They know how to do it. I know. But, it, you know, but defensively, you just can't let that. you just got to guard to that side. And they, uh, opponents haven't figured it out yet. Speaking of I.O., Bulls score last night, 138-96 to they lost to uh, Golden State, and uh, they've been blown out their last couple of ball games. Io played quite a bit. He played 31 minutes, but uh, didn't score last night. Well, the, the Bulls are playing an awful lot of games, and when you, you know it's hard to keep coming back and being peaking game after game after game. I just wonder, you know, can they hold up? And, and they've got some injuries, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that hurts couple of other notes here before we take our first break. And by the way, the phone line is open, 217-356-9397. You want to talk about that game, maybe the upcoming game against Purdue on Monday. Jump in here and uh, join us. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Cagley with us from Illini Guys. We've got uh, Brett Bielma coming up, Mo Gardner after that, and then Josh Whitman. Joe B. Hall, the coach of uh, Kentucky for many, many years, passed away, uh, I think, uh, late last night or early this morning. Yeah, I want to make note of that. Um, yeah, I just I just read uh, where he was in his nineties. Cal- Calipari had visited him in the hospital a couple of days ago, and I thought there was there had been several references to Joby lately that made me wonder why now, and now I know. Yeah, he was the coach at Kentucky when I was working in radio in Lexington. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, uh, he he was in line to succeed Adolph Rupp, and then he kept thinking that was going to happen. And it didn't happen, so he left. He took a head coaching job in Denver. Oh, is that right? And then uh, they, when they finally did. Then they brought him back, yeah, huh? I was going to say, when they finally got Adolph out the door, but it had to be on Adolph's terms. But <laughs> they brought Joby Hall back, and uh, he uh, had some great teams there. Uh, he was he was the coach when they had the game here without the officials. Yes. When Charlie Dew and the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's the coach that said one of the, it was one of the better officiating games he's <laughs> yeah, seen. Because he won <laughs> on, I know. A, on a last shot. Yeah, he did. Way. Let's uh, go to the phones here and uh, get started with that. Jim calling from Champaign. What do you say, Jim? Hi, good morning, gentlemen. It was a great win last night. It's always fun to beat me. 
question uh, stems from the flop calls that were made. Uh, the one, the first one against Frazier, best I saw of it, he, he got banged. And the last one, I don't know what else the kid does. He got bumped hard and he fell backwards and over. It's not like he flopped. Hang up and listen to your thoughts. Okay, Jim, we appreciate it. Lauren, you and Mike both probably saw those better than I did. No, I was courtside. I couldn't see. I did not have a good view of it. I, I can't answer your question. Okay. I, I had to ask what happened. Yeah, and I only saw the uh, RJ, and, and again, the angle wasn't the best to see, so I would have had to, you know, I'd have to see a replay before I would comment. I've got plenty of complaints about Big Ten refs. Those two I just didn't see well enough to – to throw them under the bus for that. We were talking before we uh, came on the air. I don't know how you call Big Ten basketball games down low. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Kofi gets fouled three times on every possession almost. <laughs> well, they're, the, they're coming at him from all directions. <laughs> they really they? are. And uh, I don't know if there's a guy in the country that uh, takes that beating now. As you mentioned, Lauren, before we got on the air, he, he dishes some of it out. <laughs> you bet he does. You want to get in the way of those shoulders or those elbows? I don't think so. No, when he moves into the basket, he's definitely moving the defender. Yes. Yeah. The Abate had what he say last night. He goes, he's really big. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I think his other comment was, well, I'm a basketball player, so I have to play him. You mm-hmm. know, And that's probably the feeling you get. I actually almost bumped into him uh, pregame. And, you know, it's just – even though you, I mean, you know, I've been around him a bunch, it is just hard to tell people how big he really is. By the way, Hunter Dickinson had been released. He just wasn't ready to play. He hadn't practiced, which is not, you know, not fair to him, but uh, did we play some guys who hadn't practiced? I mean, you can play, Absolutely. even if you haven't practiced. You can. <laughs> I'm not saying you'd be very good at it and you might not last very long, but... I mean, it was really questionable to me with the way that was explained. Yeah. Maybe I'm just of a suspicious nature, but... Maybe it had something to do with his tweeting a few months back that affected whether he played tonight, because he definitely had the team fired up. Well, you throw the word hate out there, that'll do it. Yes. (laughs) Here's uh, Illinois is 13-3, 6-0 in the Big Ten, in first place in the Big Ten. Uh Uh-oh. Here's a texter... Worried about next year. <laughs> Boy, I'm worried about next year, well, too. Well, don't worry about it yet. It's way too early. But he says the roster next year looks uh, really weak, in his opinion. Assuming Kofi is gone, they lose almost all of their scoring. Hopefully right. the transfer portal will, will pick up on the talent. Those those are facts, but why worry about it now? Well, you can't keep your seniors. Because fans got to worry about something. Can't keep your seniors forever, can you? Seems like it, but... <laughs> Ask uh, some other uh, Big Ten fan bases how long they think Trent Frazier's been around. And DeMonte Williams, they're, they're going to remember us with uh, Bohannon and uh, our buddy uh, Settles. By the way, what's happened to Bohannon this year? I don't know. I watched a lot of that game the other night. He wasn't even in the game during big chunks. Yeah, something, something, it's, it's interesting. Davidson came back to Wisconsin. He's playing great. And Bohannon's kind of the same caliber, um, all-time leading three-point shooter in the Big Ten, and yet uh, he's just not—he's not performing. And I don't, you know, who knows? Let's get another call in here before we take our first break. Mark in Jacksonville, Florida, coming in loud and clear in Jacksonville. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, good morning. Uh, I'll be one of the ones that whines about a win, but uh, the first half was so bad. I mean, oh my God. 
uh, we're settling for contested uh, jumpers that I was screaming at the TV about, you know, what made uh, our guards better early in the season, especially Plummer, was, you know, his ability to take it to the rack and score. I mean, he's, he's a strongly built kid, he, and I know uh, Trent can do that as well. But they abandoned that to, or didn't realize it the whole first half. And Michigan was getting their hands on every ball, even when we're dribbling, you know, they're reaching in and uh, beat us to lose balls, beat us to the rebound. I was just sick. I was thinking if we play like that against Purdue, we'll get beat by 35. Well, probably not, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> well, those those guys were on scholarship, we'll get, too. I don't <laughs> think we'll get beat by 35, no. If, you're, if, if that's your yeah, question, okay. no. If we, if we if we play like that that first half, you don't think we'll get beat by thirty five? No, I don't think we get I beat by thirty five. No, I mean I think that okay. this is typical Illinois. This is typical Big Ten basketball. Did you watch Indiana Iowa the the night before? They were no. awful defensively. No. The teams. No, I didn't. Well, I mean, it, it just goes on. I mean, this is not new. This is we've we've been watching this for a hundred years. This is the way it is. I, I mean, you have, a, have you have a good game, and then you have a bad game. You have a good. I mean, it, it happens all over the all over the world, all over the country. It's normal. I think it. I think it affected us that we found out last minute. That, of course, uh, of course, yeah, we feel that way. Of course, yeah, we feel that way. Out, felt, the fans flat. felt that way. You know, everybody felt I know. that way. The whole place was flat. But yeah, but 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 that doesn't mean they weren't trying. It's just that psychologically, I didn't say it's, they weren't trying. Well, no, I'm. No, well, what I'm trying to say is that we can't explain the workings of the brain. That's what it comes down to. It's the workings. It's a neurological outcome that you can't you can't be at your peak all the time. And, and they were really bad last night. And Michigan has some athletic talent, and they're long. So when they're out on the, when they're out on the floor like that, guarding at 25 feet. They're a handful because they're they're guys who can who have you know wingspan that's huge. They're taller on the wings, and they they have decent foot speed. The interesting thing is, is it was predictable that the second half we were going to break free on them because you can only guard twenty five have the energy to guard twenty five twenty eight feet from the lane you know from the basket for only so long, and as they wore down, Illinois started being able to enforce their will. You know, on the on the Wolverines. Took a while though, didn't it? It did take a while, yeah. <laughs> Anything else, Mark? No, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate the call. Two one seven three five six nine three nine seven is the phone number. We'll take a quick break and be back with more right here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Nine twenty one, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, Mike Cagley from Illini Guys with us for another eight or ten minutes. We're gonna talk to uh Brett Bielma at uh, the bottom of the hour, Mo Gardner about 945, and Josh Whitman kicking off the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Had a text question about uh, the transfer from Baylor, wanting to know if he's currently on the team or on campus or able to practice. The answer right at the moment is no, but classes haven't started yet. So 18th. Yep, next Tuesday the classes yep. start, so... Maybe we'll get a little clarity on that. Yeah, I, I know there was they were working uh, last week. They were working on getting him in school academically, and then that'll be the key if he can get in, and then we'll find out if he's 
He's not going to play this year, but right. he could practice with the team in the second semester. Dane Danger. Yes. Dane Danger. There's a lot of there's a lot of headlines that are waiting with the name Danger. <laughs> right. <laughs> you you got any more on him? Uh, yeah. There basically, I think I think Lauren summed it up pretty good. Um, but you know, here's a guy who, if you give him, you know, ten months with Fletch, um, by next season, holy cow! If you take a look at some of his film. He has some ball handling ability. He has some passing skills. Uh, he is a very well-rounded player, and 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 know, he's big. And he he's is wide. He is big and wide, so he's going to bring something to the to the table. And he's kind of got that. You know, he'll be able to pass out the way Kofi's doing right now, from day one. Uh, it's got a lot of. He's he's a pretty good skill set player. Lauren, you mentioned that uh, they've been playing uh, basketball in the Big Ten like that for one hundred years. Got a texture for you saying only you have been watching Big Ten basketball for <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I, I keep remembering what Lou Henson said. I mentioned this to you that you're going to have about a half a dozen games where you play really bad. You might win, might lose, but you're going to play bad. Then you're going to have about a half a dozen games where you peak, and the rest is, is what you are. And the great thing about Illinois is that they played poorly the last two games pretty much. And they pulled the other one out at Nebraska in the last four minutes, and they pulled this one out late. And they at least have the ability to finish, which is the greatest trait you can have, the ability to, to win at the end. That's the that's best trait. You're not going to play consistently through 40 minutes. Nobody does. Even the Flying Illini didn't win the Big Ten championship, and, and, and people don't remember that so much. Of course, social media is a different uh, different animal now than it was. There was it wasn't even around then, but... Uh, the barbershop talk back then, or the golf course talk, but you didn't hear much complaining about that basketball team. Well, they had a lot more talent all the way around. They did. Well, the Big Ten was I mean, tougher all was the way around. That was a much more talented team, when you, you know, no question about it. Yeah, the Big Ten was just the best there was. Now. Yeah, I mean, look at yeah. all those guys. Big Ten is not the best right now, I don't think. No, no. Looks I'd... like they slipped a little bit, and I'm not sure where Ohio State is right now, but boy, Wisconsin took them down, didn't they? They did, but they did the same thing to Wisconsin a couple of yeah, weeks earlier. That's true. That's true. That, that home court you talk about. But we talk about ranking. I hear people complaining, well, Illinois should be higher than 25, and I think that's right, but when you rank teams, do you count the games back in November in early December, do you count those games the same as now? Illinois won, what, 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 11, whatever it 11 is. 11 out of 12, I think it is well, now. You know, I'm losing track. Yeah. But my point is that they lost some games early, which count against them. But to me, I, it's what the team is, has done lately that should matter. And uh, Illinois got off to a bad start. And, and once you're out of the top 25, it's hard to move up very fast. But anyway, that doesn't make any difference. They'll either beat Purdue or they won't, and when they, that'll be determined ultimately whether they're ranked. Exactly. You've got a chance for a signature win against number seven team in the country. Yeah, it, it'll shoot them way up if they win. Yep. Let's go back to the phones, 217-356-9397. Tom in Champaign. Hey, Tom. Hey, uh, I think Illini fans need to celebrate a little bit. We've won 20 out of 21 straight Big Ten games. Yeah. That's like... That never happens. Um, also, I think the flopping calls, they were flopping, but they usually don't call it. But most of the time someone goes down like that, they're falling back to try to draw a charge call. Well, they've made it a point of emphasis. And when the officials make a point of emphasis, they, you know, they kind of emphasize that for the time being. My, next year they might forget about it. Yep. 
And then I think the crush, too, at the end, they were getting Michigan's hopes up by chanting NIT. you got to have a winning record to make the NIT. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think they'll get there. Well, well long way to go. They'll get, they'll get Dickinson back for the next game, surely. He was, he was sitting on the bench, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was, he, he was mm-hmm. there, and so, yeah. was, so was Brandon Johns was there, and he didn't play. They had two, two, two of their so-called regulars didn't yeah. play. Coach Howard made it sound like uh, Johns was affected more by the COVID in the postgame comments that, you know, maybe he's actually getting over something a little bit more serious for him. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, I, I wish the kid every bit of luck and good health because that's frustrating. Anything else, Tom? Yeah, I mean, Michigan certainly has the talent to, you know, be a good team this year. But just what we've seen so far, that they're not going to finish over – 500, you know, in the Big Ten, unless they start playing a lot better. Well, just remember, Illinois still has to play there, so don't get too cocky on (laughs) having having to see them again. February 27th. I I looked it up. Yeah, that's right. Tom, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah. Let's go to to Steve in Princeton. Hey, Steve. Yeah, this is for for Lauren. And in the past shows, he always talks about somebody enters the transfer portal because they want more playing time. Yeah. They maybe couldn't make the team. So the Baylor transfer, does Baylor have somebody better than him? And so he wanted more playing time, so he had to leave. Well, he wasn't getting any playing time. So is he that good? Well, obviously they don't think so, but we're hopeful. I mean, Mike? Every every coaching staff, you know, believes they have the ability to draw that play out of a, a player and make them better than the coaching staff before. And certainly look at what Plummer's done this year. You know, that he was he was supposed to be just a three-point shooter and nothing else. He's actually driving the lane now. And he's not perfect on defense, but he's a lot better than what we saw in his past stop. So mm-hmm. let's see what this staff can do developmentally with Danger. The, the raw materials are there. So, anyway, that was just a comment that, like I said, it, it, Where it, was Kofi ranked? Where was Kofi ranked before he came to Illinois? He was, I believe, forty fifty. Yeah, in, in the er, the low forties, and and actually Omar Payne was like one ranking right above him mm-hmm. at the time, um, and Kofi was one that people thought, oh, he's just a big guy, and mm-hmm. he has developed beyond that. Um, and look at Omar Payne; he's starting to put together some key runs now for the Illini. I think they're going to be a lot healthier in the middle next year. He's not a Kofi, let's let's be honest. But I think he's going to be a good contributor for that team. You know, if people are worried about next year, let's just let these guys develop. I think they'll be okay. Anything else, Steve? That's all for today. Enjoy the show. Yep, appreciate your call. Mike Kegley, heading into year number two of the Lilac guys. Yeah. Got anything special you want to tell us about? Anything well, you're sitting on there? Yeah, you know, we've got the show coming on here. It's on WDWS uh, today at one o'clock, so you can listen to the show. Um, and of course, we are we're doing more and more, um, and we'll have some surprises as we get going. I hate to tip my hand too much, but um, just keep listening to the podcast and, and keep subscribing if you want to hear the information at the earliest possible time. We give you a pretty good outlet to uh, do that. And, um, you know, we, we really liked it. We're trying to set up a place where Illini fans can go be up to date but also have a fun time while How much? There. How much, uh, what percentage do you think you spend on recruiting as opposed to the games? You mean coverage-wise? 
Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, when you, you know, the funny thing is, is, is the we probably spend a lot more on the games than we anticipated because we do, we do previews, we do obviously <clears throat> the game analysis, we do post game, etc. So we do a lot of stuff on both. That's IlliniGuys.com. Mike, we appreciate your time. Always good to visit Thank with you, you, sir. We'll do it again. We say good morning at nine thirty to Illini football coach Brett Bielma on the uh, telephone with us. Coach, how you doing this morning? Happy belated birthday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Great to great to be on. It's good to be here in Champaign. My daughters were excited to have a little uh, winter dusting this morning when they got up, so it's kind of cool. You've been bouncing around uh, the country here, haven't you? The last uh, couple of days. Yeah, it's. Uh, um, we actually um, did a little in-house recruiting on our own roster, and also did some outhouse recruiting uh, on, on the roster to be. We could get back on the road on Friday, so. So, yeah, I was uh, I was down south for a couple stops Friday uh, Friday morning, Friday afternoon. Got back here late yesterday. Had a great uh, uh, we got a couple of official visitors, but we also had uh, a number of uh, high school underclassmen in for last night's game. And what a what a great environment that was to to be at. And then also they introduced uh, our new incoming freshmen and and transfers in front of the crowd. Um, a couple of them couldn't be uh, introduced because of of uh, NCAA law rules um, until they're in their first day of classes. But it was it's good to see them get introduced. Classes get uh, going next week. Uh, earlier this week, uh, you also introduced your new offensive coordinator, who uh, I think was at the basketball game last night as well, uh, Barry Lunny Jr. Tell us more about him and a little more about the uh, the decision to make that change after just one year uh, in Champaign. Well, Steve, like I, um, I've said all along, right, we, we – uh, we want to take this place to a level it's never been, right? Uh, we want to be able to sustain uh, a, a winning culture and environment uh, that, that lasts a long time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate everything uh, that Tony and uh, his wife Beth, and, you know, came in and, and hit the ground running, did a great job with us uh, during the course of the year. It's just that uh, kind of postseason had made a decision to go in a different direction, uh, going to change offensive styles a little bit um, and, and really uh, hopefully take us to a, a move in the direction that, that helps us win championships. So um, that I, I talked to a couple different people, but the guy I kept gravitating back towards was Barry Lunny and uh, familiarity with being him in the past. Uh, really enjoyed watching him grow while he worked with me. Um, and then he and I stayed uh, connected. Uh, he actually was at Arkansas after I left. They retained him, uh, did a tremendous job, uh, almost became the head coach there, and then um, really stepped into a role at UTSA that he's just taken that, that offense and that, that – style and that philosophy kind of blended it into a, a, a match we call tempo where it's a little bit of tempo and pro style and, and taking that offense to an unprecedented level of success not just there at UTSA but one of the best in the country. Coach this is Lauren uh, with uh, with the new um, offensive coordinator how much do you get involved in the pregame planning and then in the actual play calling during the course of the game? You know Lauren um, you know in my 13 years now going to my fourth year as a head coach uh, offense, defense, and special teams, I, I don't want to make calls, right? Like um, the, the the opportunities that we have to build that game plan during the course of the week is what it is. No one's going to know that. In the case of the offensive coordinator, no one's going to know that defense better than him. No one's going to know how to attack it, uh, uh, you know, how to uh, uh, set up plays. Uh, no one knows going to know their personnel better uh, if a guy goes down. Um, so it, it's really uh, – that's why I hire coordinators, right? Like the best advice I ever got really from every head coach I work for and even on the highest level when I was at New England, um, you know, let your good coaches, let your coordinators do what they're there to do. Let them let them do that. So uh, game day, I, I very seldom, I might say, hey, I think they're vulnerable to this. That's a play that we already 
have executed. We're not really ad-libbing anything. We're just kind of seeing it. I would say because of my background, Warren, like uh, what I try to add to the offense is, hey, this is what this defense is doing. This mm-hmm. is maybe where they're a little bit vulnerable. Um, yeah. But otherwise, uh, coordinators coordinate. Well, um, you got a new schedule. What's your take on the schedule? Does it make any difference? you see anything that makes any difference? I mean, obviously you traded – uh, Indiana is on and Penn State's off, but uh, what's your thought about the schedule change? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, here's what I've always said about scheduling, right? Like, just give me the schedule and I'll play it, right? Like, obviously we get influenced years out in advance. Um, you know, um, the, the even the non-conference games are made so far in advance now. It's, it's, it's really kind of uh, um, a, a different world in that regard. And, you know, Big Ten – Currently, he's had a nine-game schedule. I've heard discussions of eight-game schedules. Like it's just, it's just one of those things. You never know how it's going to change. Was last year, right? Like the addition of some teams and, and some transfer of uh, conferences among Power Five schools really changes the landscape. Um, I, I get it. Indiana, Penn State's a, a switch, right? Um, from the outside world looking in, but you know we beat Penn State last year at Penn State. Uh, I think the change there was more than anything. Um, if, if if you think back, my first game that I witnessed I saw on the road was when I was taking over at Penn State and then it kind of jumped out to me when I got here uh, the scheduled games were the next two years at Penn State I'm like how in the world what computer would kick out uh, Illinois go to Penn State three years in a row it just didn't seem possible so uh, I think that COVID thing made those guys kind of reshuffle and think things around Um, I like the way it lays out because we got a week zero game so we got three games we got Bye week. We got four games. We got a bye week, and then we close out with a five game stretch. So I like the uh, I like the spacing of the bye weeks. Um, another one that probably jumps out to people is our last two games are on the road. You know, so uh, to go to Michigan and to go to uh, Northwestern at the end of the year, that means our senior uh, goodbye game is actually going to be three weeks out from the end of the year, right? So uh, some intricate details that uh, are a little bit different, but uh, you know we have a, a, a one week mentality. We'll do focus on the one and zero of the week no matter what happens, so I think our guys will be all right. Coach, how many uh, players are you actually going to have coming in uh, next week, uh, you know, that will be available to you in the spring, new players? Well, it's actually still a little bit of, of a work in progress. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, by NCAA rules, there's there's things that we know guys are, are going to be joining us that we haven't been able to announce yet. Um, yeah. But I, I think it'll be somewhere in that uh, somewhere in that 95 to 100 range. Um uh, we've uh, expanded our roster, uh, Josh and Josh and I. When we got together, we really talked about, you know, what we wanted to do to try to, you know, build our walk-on program into something that, uh, you know, could give us uh, an opportunity to be competitive in this league. Uh, you know, I know a couple of places I've been at previously that that walk-on program kind of is known as an eraser, right? Sometimes they have a walk-on that rises up and comes out of nowhere and, and uh, you know, kind of erases maybe a recruiting not mistake, but someone who doesn't contribute as well as others. Um, so we've actually jumped our roster up to 115, which is a big step in the right direction. Um, so we'll actually have a bigger program or a bigger roster than they've ever had in here to years. So that just pure numbers will help us. Um, you know, we've gotten a couple additions, like yesterday, Mike Marquez, we, we made an appeal to the, uh, uh, to the big 10 and then to the NCAA to get him an extra year of eligibility. So the, to get him back now is, is actually pretty awesome. So we'll see where it goes. Talking to Illinois football coach Brett Bielma, another few minutes uh, with the Illinois head coach, and you talked about the schedule and the two open weeks. Do you like that? Do you like the, the, the week zero? First of all, the exposure there at week zero, and then the added uh, bye week? I do, see for two reasons. Um, 
the way we play and the physicality, uh, you know, one of our trademarks, our DNA is tough, smart, dependable. And, and um, I think this, this going into the second year with our guys, they know I put a premium on uh, the, the way we train. It's, you know, what you see at practice, uh, practice habits become game day reality. Uh, so we, we, we not only play physicality on Saturdays, we want to practice with physicality. But as the year goes on, you know, wise men uh, understand that kids' bodies only have a certain number of hips, reps, uh, uh, contacts. And so uh, to get the work at the beginning of the year and to get those two bye weeks right spaced out nicely in the middle of the year uh, is going to give us a chance to work with our younger players that we may need down the stretch, uh, you know, as the year progresses, but also – Give the, give the guys that are repping a lot, give them a little bit of a break and get a, get kind of a little mid-season recovery. So uh, I've always fared very well coming out of bye weeks, um, uh, and, and, and we're excited about the opportunity that we have, uh, hopefully, with these two bye weeks this year. Brett, what's your opinion of expanding the college football playoff? And I say that with you, know, you, you talk about the bye weeks and, and the length of the schedule and adding games and such. Uh, where do you stand on that? You know, I'm, I'm – I, I obviously haven't been a participant, right? I've been watching for afar. Um, I love the fact that, uh, you know, the colleges, uh, you know, football is so popular, right, that this is an ongoing discussion to try and expand it. Um, you know, I think you always look back at the end of the year and you see those four teams that make it and the way the games play out, you you, you look around and, oh, how would this team fared? How would that team fared? You know, in college football, if you, have a, if you have a winning team, right, if you have a team that knows how to put together a, game plan as coaches and how to execute it as players anybody can get anybody on any given saturday right like that's just that's literally what it is um the thing that i like go back to all the time is what is the comprehensive season that gets you to that opportunity right so uh, look at the 12 game schedule that all these teams play and you know anybody can get anybody on a given saturday but it's it's the for us in the big 10 and, and you know that i experienced both when i was at wisconsin and in in sec play it's hard for week to week to put together a high-level, well-executed, and consistent uh, approach for your players, right? Depth helps. Obviously, the depth of quality depth, right? So, you know, you take a team like Alabama. Um, I believe they've got uh, over a dozen players now that went in the portal after the year. They, they last year, I believe, lost eight um, first-round draft picks, right, um, the year before a similar number. They just have a roster that's really uncomparable to anything else in college football. Uh, and Georgia's not far behind it. But then, you know, you start looking at other rosters, and uh, a key to their season might just be who gets healthy or who gets injured and who doesn't. Um, you might get hit at the one position that you can't get hit at, and all of a sudden you're a team that, you know, is a bowl team or a, a championship-level team, and, and it's hard to, to win big games, right? So it's, it's a very unique thing, college football, and I think the more numbers – the players we could add to that playoff system would only benefit everybody. Coach, uh, I'm always interested in the players that are in the portal, and I, I wonder, is Barker still in? What is he doing now? Does Illinois have any chance to get him back? You know, Lauren, uh, DJ is, uh, um, from the moment the season got done, you know, he was, uh, um, I would say, pretty excited to um, enter into that NFL opportunity, and that's kind of, I think, where it's standing at this point, but um, you know, we have ongoing conversations, and as we do with our entire roster, right? Um, so I'm excited for DJ, whatever direction him he goes. But uh, we're concentrating kind of on the players that we have on campus that are coming back. They'll start class with us on Tuesday. Uh, you, you look at a guy like Mike Marquez, right? Like uh, was a was a former walk on who put on scholarship, uh, who who's really shown to me 
how special um, development can be and, and to get him back for a, a, another year. There's actually a couple of players that fell under the same uh, guidelines of what, what got us Mike back, right? No one just asked the question. We just, Mike and I just kept having conversations. We asked compliance. We gave him our side, our rationale, and, and no one asked the question. And, and now we got a, a waiver granted and gave us this opportunity. So I don't worry so much about the players that aren't here. I worry more about the players that are. What about Hart? What's his uh, physical condition? DJ's been great. Um, you know, he, he obviously last fall um, uh, during the course of the year was able to get more and more involved. But one thing he was from day one to the end of the year is he was in that linebacker room. He was at practice. He was engaged. Um, you know, I think uh, the – the thing that I'm really excited is, is you know, he's not going to be full go right when we get back here, but it, he's just continued to progress at a really nice rate. Uh, uh, Art Tchaikovsky has been awesome. Um, I came back off the road, and I expected to see him in a cast on one hand and a sling on the other, and he didn't have anything on. Like, <laughs> really? Uh, so um, he really won't be able to throw the ball or, or be involved in that aspect until about March, but everything he's doing uh, has been on a very consistent uptake uh, to get where we are today. So. Really excited about the opportunity, and I think uh, Coach Lundy now has had contact with all of our quarterbacks, uh, whether those ones here on campus, the ones coming to campus, um, and it's just been. And he's reached out to all of our our offensive players. Every every player that responds back to me has just been blown away with uh, the communication with Coach Lundy, and, and excited to see this thing get running. Hey, Coach, we appreciate your time this morning. We'll let you get back to work, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate Steve. ILL. I and I. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Coach. Brett Bielma with us this morning on Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk. We'll take a break and talk some more and uh, keep the phone lines open if you'd like to join us back after this. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you, Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk. We're here until 11 o'clock Central Time. Thanks to Brett Bielma for spending a, a few minutes talking Illinois football with us. Josh Whitman will join us at the uh, top of the hour. We're happy now to uh, welcome to the program the newly uh, nominated and soon-to-be-inducted member of the uh, College Football Hall of Fame class of 2022. Mo Gardner is with us from Atlanta, Georgia. Mo, good morning, and uh, congratulations on, on that honor. You become the 18th University of Illinois person in the College Football Hall of Fame. How does that make you feel? Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it, man. It, it, it's so dream that you would have that kind of um, accolation come your way. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the fact of uh, the era that I played in, the teammates that I had, and, and a lot of that success was contributed to the guys that played around me. So I give full credit to my success, to the people I was fortunate enough to play with and get coached by. That era you mentioned, 1987 to 1990, you were the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year in 1990. And you did have some good people around you, uh, not only on the coaching staff, but uh, on the football team as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, number one was, uh, you know, Mel Agee, who, who, who's no longer with us. Um, you know, he, he was a, a really good friend, a really good guy that um, was an excellent football player, you know, and he's the first one that pops into mind. And it was a really good defense that we had there. I mean, we had some outstanding players, Derek Brownlow, who um, I went to high school with, um, um, uh, just just a lot of great guys. Henry Jones, who had an excellent NFL career, so a lot of good guys, particularly on that defensive side of the ball, but also on the offensive side as well. Um, and we have some good coaches. Uh, Denny Morrison, uh, Coach Bill Kolar, who was there when I first got there. Uh, Denny Morrison was the line position coach um, the second half of my career um, at Illinois. 
and they were just really good people and really helped me develop uh, as an athlete. Mo, this is Lauren. Uh, tell us, uh, you and Brownlow coming from Indianapolis, Illinois has not had great success uh, recruiting in the state of Indiana. Uh, what were the what were the influences that brought you over? Yeah, there there was a couple. There was a, a James Finch was a linebacker that um, was from Indianapolis um, at the time and was at Illinois. So there was a connection I had with him when I came over. But when I when I took my visit and um, met with Coach Mike, uh, Coach White and uh, his staff um, and uh, Coach Kolar in terms of his experience at having been an NFL player, um, uh, Coach Cosgrove was a linebacker coach that actually was recruiting the area. They really represented that that there was a, a transition happening, you know, at Illinois. Um, they were looking to rebuild and, and get back on track. You know, uh, I think there was just some tough years, you know, there right before I got there. And then, um, you know, our first couple of years were, were, were kind of tough. But um, there really was a, a sense of um, a building a program and being part of something that's coming up. And so that excited me. And I, I really was enthusiastic um, based off of my visit and based off of um, uh, the coaching staff and some of the guys that I knew um, I'd be playing with there. Well, it's, it's fun watching you play. It's also fun watching Brownlow play, wasn't it? He was something else, wasn't he? He simply built so low to the ground and nobody could block him, could they? Yeah, Derek was a monster, man. He, he always was like, and he had like a motor where I, I wasn't as, as vocal and, and, and um, out there um, verbally. He, he just had a motor and he really had um, just, you know, really strong leadership um, ability. So when he came, um, he, I was a year ahead. I redshirted. And so we ended up, you know, pretty much in the same class. But um, when he came, he just really added a lot of energy, a lot of um, intensity that um, really kind of set the tone. That middle linebacker position is that place where that position kind of um, sets the tone for the entire defense. And he always um, was there, you know, um, um, really playing well and, and just a really good influence on um how we play defense and, and, and how everybody engaged with um, trying to, um, you know, win football games. Talking to Mo Gardner, a member of the 2022 College Football Hall of Fame class, which will be officially inducted next December. Back in 2020, Mo was inducted into the Illinois Hall of Fame. So it's been a good couple of years for you there. You played six years with the Atlanta Falcons in the National Football League after being a fourth-round draft pick. And, uh, then uh, got your master's along the way, and uh, kind of get us up to date what you're doing now. Yeah, so I, I'm currently working at um, at a research library. It's the uh, Albert Avenue Research Library on African American Culture and History. So I went back to Clark Atlanta University, which is a historically black college here in Atlanta, and it's kind of like the mecca of this kind of intellectual thought in the city. Um, there's Morehouse, Spelman, and Clark Atlanta. All those three schools all sit in proximity to each other. So Atlanta's always had this rich tradition of intellectual thought and um, academic progress specifically related to the black community. And so the research library that I'm at, um, that's what we do. We engage the community in programming and uh, things of that nature. We support our uh, academic community in terms of people working on their PhD candidacies, um, also uh, the professors at universities. And so we have a repository of archives that we make publicly accessible for people doing research. And it's all uh, related to the uh, black experience in America. Mo, who do you follow in college football these days? And uh, any thoughts on getting back to Illinois? Yeah, I, I, I'm down here in, in, in um, uh, Georgia right now, so it's hard not to be aware of uh, 
Bulldogs and the SEC. <laughs> Absolutely. SEC, they, they pretty much dominate everything down here, even when they don't win the championship. But the fact that they just won the championship, it, it pretty much dominates everything. But um, it, there's nothing like the Big Ten. There's nothing like the culture um, and what's good about it with a, a station like the Big Ten Network and stuff like that. It's not like back when I played when you, you, you were tough to try to catch a game or see your team on TV. So I really try and it really follow Illinois, you know, as much as I can. Um, uh, just because of the culture and just because of the atmosphere of that, um, uh, just having grown up. I grew up in Indiana, so I grew up watching, you know, Indiana football, you know, as a kid and that kind of thing. So I was real familiar and comfortable. So the Big Ten has always kind of been that – home base if I do get a chance to sit on the Saturdays. Those those are the games I'm trying to catch and watch. Another couple of minutes with uh, Mo Gardner. If I'm not mistaken, your wife, Roberta, is a U of I graduate as well. Is that correct? Yeah, she is. She um she, uh, We went to high school together as well, uh, and she was in uh, Derek's class. And then she uh, came to the University of Illinois the year after I did. Um, and, yeah, she, she graduated. She's currently a uh, um, – she went back and got her doctorate actually from – the University of Georgia, and so she's a professor at a Kennesaw State University uh, here in the city. What about your kids? Your the rest of your family? Yeah, everybody's good. I got um, I got uh, uh, two boys and two girls. Everybody's adults now. I'm at that age where um, everybody's adults. I have uh, uh, three grandkids, and <laughs> so everybody's doing well. Everybody's pretty much here. It's kind of weird, you know, saying that, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of um. It's the kind of thing where everybody's growing up, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. But um, I've been fortunate, and everybody kind of lives regionally here in the southeast, so uh, we get to see each other quite often. Lauren, you're making Lauren and I feel old now because we, we both covered you as a player, and now you're a grandfather. <laughs> man, I don't know. I tell you what, you guys sound good, man. <laughs> you, you sound great, so I, I don't know. But it is. It's when you start to look back, I looked back at, at some old games or something, and, and I realized how, how long ago you played because the, the quality of the video is, like, faded and aged. It's like, man, it looks like a, a, an old film or something. So, But but I, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate with my family, and I was fortunate to have a, a, um, a good career in Illinois because of the support that I received there. Well, those late 80s, were that was good football then. Good winning yeah, football by Illinois. Yeah, we were fortunate, man. We really caught on some good streaks. Um, I think we really benefited when uh, Jeff George transferred over from Purdue um, and, and came in, and that was like a, a shot in the arms like the offense. And when that offense had that kind of ability to stay on the field and score and have long drives like, you know, Jeff was capable of, um, it just made uh, the defense uh, be able to – really pick his shots and play well. And, and they had a lot of good players in the offense. Howard Griffith, um, Sean Wax, um, just a lot of good guys. Kurt Loveless, just a lot of good guys on that offense. That um, it, it was a good team. I, I was I was really happy that um, I made the decision to come to Illinois, and it really came to fruition by us being able to kind of fight our way and get into some ball games. And by the end there, you know, we were in some pretty prominent games against some top talent, you know, um, throughout the country. Back to today's college football briefly. Are you a fan of maybe expanding the playoffs from four teams to eight or twelve? Man, it's like I don't even I don't even think about it like that. I mean, I guess as a fan, I really look at it from the players' perspectives and what those kids do and how how taxing it is and that kind of thing. So I don't really know the math on it, man. I just I look at what the Georgia and Alabama teams 
how long they had played football just to get to that championship. And I don't know what that does to increase it or, you know, how many, right. you know, how many more games they got to play. And that's a concern, man. I mean, these are young guys and, you know, playing a lot of football, you know, it's tough on the body. So there's elements of it that I really hope whatever decision they make, they keep in consideration um, the health of the players and making sure they're doing what's best for, you know, some of these young men. Did you come out of play, your playing days okay? We, we talked to a lot of guys. We, we had Doug Deacon on last week that played tight end at Illinois and played 14 years with the Browns. He had two new hips and two new knees. <laughs> you come out okay? Yeah, I was fortunate, man. I, I, I really count my blessings with that, playing as, as long as I did. And, and, and playing at a time, too, where it was, it was kind of a different game. I mean, two of that tense, there was a lot of hitting, you know, in both practices. And so, like everybody else, I get up and I got a body um, that, that played, you know, that – so I got aches and pains and stuff, but um, any significant things I was fortunate not to have to, um, uh, you know, have like a lot of surgeries, even while I played. And so I benefited from that. But yeah, it, it takes a toll, and, and you think you think, um, you know, if I, you know, you was gonna live this long, you'd have took better care of yourself. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just age just catches up with you. But having played that game, particularly when we played, it was just a. There was a lot of contact and a lot of hitting, but um, I came out. I came out okay. Knock on wood. Hey, Mo, congratulations once again on uh, the College Football Hall of Fame honor, and uh, hopefully we'll see you here in Champaign one of these days, maybe this coming football season. I'm looking forward to it, man. So thank you guys for, for the time, and I appreciate you um, reaching out. You bet. Have Thanks, a good day. Mo. That's Mo Gardner, everybody. We'll take a break here and be back with hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to hour number two of the program. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock today. Thanks to uh, Brett Bielma for joining us earlier in the first hour. Mike Cagley from IlliniGuys.com and just concluded a conversation with Mo Gardner, who played back at Illinois 1987 to 1990, one of the members of the 2022 College Football Hall of Fame. That makes our next guest very proud, I know. Josh Whitman is with us here in the studio. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, fellas. Good to be with you. How about that? An 18th Illinois-connected person, and not all players, 13th player to be uh, inducted into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame. Pretty special. I uh, was fortunate enough a couple of years ago when Dana Howard went in to be able to accompany him out to the ceremony in New York. And, and for those folks who haven't had the opportunity to attend, it is really an extraordinary night. Just a, a fantastic celebration of the great tradition and history of college football and, and for the University of Illinois to be so prominently included is uh, always a feather in our cap. And so we're looking forward to uh, uh, celebrating similarly with uh, with Mo and had the, the great opportunity to call him and, and deliver the news to him myself, and that was that was really special, something I'll never forget. Well, who, who was more excited, him or you? <laughs> well, most pretty even guy. Yeah, so I, he is. I think I was more excited, but I, I'm hoping on the inside he uh, he was more excited. It's a tremendous, tremendous honor for him, of course. 
Any plan to bring Mo back to campus in the, in the next year or two? We will. We will certainly need to work through it with him. Uh, you know, we just put him in our, our Hall of Fame here at Illinois, and, mm-hmm. and COVID kept him away from that celebration. And so we're hoping to do sort of a double dip here. We'll bring him back in the fall. Uh, they always do that as part of the, the Hall of Fame induction. The Hall of Fame will actually send a representative to campus uh, to join him on the field during a game where they'll present him with – they have a, a, a traditional – um, framed uh, memento that they'll give him on, on the field during one of our games. And at the same time, I'm sure we'll present him with our uh, our Hall of Fame uh, statue as well. Nice atmosphere last night at the State Farm Center. Nice win. It wasn't uh, as uh, pretty as folks like to see Oh, it wasn't spread. pretty enough. I didn't like that. It wasn't pretty <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah, look at us for <laughs> We're complaining about how pretty it was. About yeah. a 15-point win over a good Big Ten team, a team that uh, has struggled some. But still, any any Big Ten win is good, but a great atmosphere. It, it was. It was a great atmosphere. I appreciate everyone's support. It's nice to have the, the building full and uh, every seat taken. You know, I know we're all looking forward to having the students back, but it's also a nice opportunity during these break games for some fans to get down low in a way that um, they traditionally can't because the students are filling those seats. And so it was a great atmosphere, and I think now we've got to challenge everybody to bring it even more uh, on Monday. Obviously, that's a going to be a big-time college basketball game, and we're fortunate to have it here at our home building and, and to have it on Big Fox National Television uh, is just a, a tremendous platform for this program to once again demonstrate not just to the Big Ten but to the country that uh, you know we're, we're here to be to be reckoned with and, and intend to stay for a while. I'm, I'm always interested in the psychology of a game. And this game, as soon as they announced that Hunter Dickinson wasn't going to play, it was like the, the, the fans that were sitting where the, the Orange Crush normally sits, they were all set to really get on. And he wasn't there. To, he was there, but he wasn't suited. And, and I just wonder your thoughts about that and, and the psychology of, of, the, of the game. Like Monday, you don't have to worry about anything. If you didn't say anything to the players, they know. But in this game, there seemed like kind of a letdown there when they found out he wasn't going to play. Well, you, you've been around sports a long time. We, we all understand that the mental component of, of these games and, and certainly the physical preparation is, is always a big part. But the longer I'm around it, the more you see that the mind always overcomes the body. And, and so yeah. uh, you're always looking for any advantage, any edge you can gain. And I, I think that's something that is a strength of Brad's is, in particular is he's great at getting our guys mentally ready to go out and, and play. And, and he, you know, he sharpens that axe, boy. I mean, you know, he, he over time, he gets those guys to a razor-sharp edge uh, by the time that ball gets thrown up in the air. And so anything that happens that, that throws that off sometimes can, can be a little bit uh, off-plan. And, and I know just talking with Brad, he was, he was disappointed. I think we're all disappointed. You always want to play the best. And, and for Hunter not to be out there uh, was, uh, was certainly a surprise and a disappointment. And, and I'm – confident he will be in uniform when we head up to Ann Arbor and, and we'll get another shot at them. I said earlier, Steve, that the greatest trait you can have as a, as a team, I think, or as a player, is the ability to close, the ability to finish. Because all of a sudden, uh, you know, we had a great finisher, maybe the greatest finisher of all time in DeSumo, and now we've got a guy that's coming right behind him, Trent Fraser. Yeah, how about Trent? I, uh, you know, I was telling a group of people last night, he is what I love about college athletics. And Trent came here five years ago and wide-eyed, a young freshman, and a lot of immaturity, a lot of things to learn. And, and just to watch him grow and mature over these years, to sit in, in my seat and, and have the opportunity to, to watch that. And 
and and get to know him better and watch him develop into a really fine young man has been uh, just just one of the joys of, of my career and, and now to see him in such a prominent role for this team and he has been for years but but really to be kind of the old man on the block now with DeMonte and, and to be sharing some of the wisdom that he's gained during his career with our younger guys and to see him play uh, at such a high level at such critical moments is uh, is really heartwarming and I think encouraging for what the remainder of the season holds. It's kind of hard to believe that we're into the third year of this COVID thing now and uh, and how it's been dealt with, uh, some smoothly, some not so smoothly, but got through football season pretty well. And uh, as far as the basketball season goes, maybe it was some kind of uh, left-handed blessing or something that, that uh, Illinois was affected by it when they were and kind of got it out of the way. We'll see. You know, yeah. obviously things change. If we've learned anything during the pandemic, it's that things change awfully quickly and uh, sometimes by the hour. And, um, you know, certainly I, I think we're in some senses relieved to have had that that through the program. Uh, it, it did not affect everybody. Uh, so there's still the possibility that it, it could rear its head with some people. Um, but I just, you know, we're, we're grateful to everybody for, for doing their part and trying to make the healthiest, safest environment we can for everyone. Obviously, we want to continue to welcome fans into State Farm Center. We want to continue to play the games, and uh, it takes a, a group effort in order to make that happen. And uh, we're, we're all continuing to, to make the best decisions we can in the moment with the information we have. And uh, God willing, we'll be out of this thing here at some point in the not-too-distant future, and we can uh, stop wearing these masks and, and get back to what we remember as regular life. I was Reflecting on this the other day, I, I'm coming up here on the end of my sixth year as the athletic director, and basically a third of my tenure has been in right. COVID time. And, and I, I almost have to force myself to remember what the job feels like without sort of the COVID underlayment. And um, I'm, needless to say, looking forward to that. I hope it comes soon. When About the same time that, that you came on, uh, the university started this uh, uh, fundraising effort and I think that the athletic department uh, took on $300 million in an effort to, and I believe that was six years ago about, approximately. And here you, you got, a, what, a 7.5 this, this past, uh, 7.5 million uh, gift just this last week. And that brings you, what, to 299 out of, I mean, pretty close, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're knocking right on the door. I mean, we're, we're literally north of 299. So we're, we're actually starting to have some, these are fun conversations. Like, who, who do we want to take us over the top? You know, who, who would we like to approach about the idea of officially putting us over the $300 million threshold? It's been just a monumental effort, and I, I can't say enough good things about Howard Milton and our development staff, and, and more importantly, the generosity of, all the different people who have stepped forward to support our student-athletes and in, in our athletic teams, uh, especially at moments where we haven't performed at the level to which a lot of us expect. And that's, I think, the hardest thing to do. It's easy to raise money when you're having success and win a lot of games. It's really hard to do it in moments where you're in the build process. And a lot of that money came in, at that period of time, and, and uh, it just speaks volumes, I think, about the passion that people have for this place. And the selflessness that they've shown and, and commitment that they've shown to, to helping us move the needle the right direction. Now, when we talk about pledges, and I'm going to throw a percentage out, and you can tell me how far off I am. Is if if I said that you had taken in nearly 300 million, does that does that mean maybe two thirds or more uh, is actually in hand and 
and maybe the rest is pledges in, in, into the future? To be honest, I, I really don't know. You know, now bear in mind that $300 million, <clears throat> excuse me, um, includes a variety of different funding mechanisms. So that's not all capital gifts, which is, okay. which is what you're imagining. So that would okay. include our annual giving. That includes uh, some of the other uh, more directed giving that we receive over the course of, of a given year. Uh, but a significant, some of it has has been allocated towards our capital projects. And um, as you as you mentioned, I don't know the percentages, but rarely does someone come in with a a seven or an eight figure gift, stroke a check on the on the spot and, and hand it to you. There's always some cash component, and then generally there's some pledged component. Uh, usually those pledges occur over a period of five to seven years. Uh, again, depending generally on the size of the gift. Um, and uh, and then we're able to use the the future proceeds from those gifts to fund some of these various projects that you see popping up over on the athletics campus. Well, I, you know, when you, we talked before, you talked about Evan, and I was really surprised when you said this whole thing could be should be completed in a six year period, and you're gonna you're gonna actually move in there in the fall. But you you're uh, are you talking about six years from the time you started it, or six years from now? Well, so it's it's. Um, you know, what we did is, is we were able to fund that with uh, a cash-based loan from the University of Illinois system. It's a 10-year loan, uh, and it was a bit of an extraordinary circumstance because because of the generosity of our donors, all of the gifts are being pledged in less than 10 years. Uh, ordinarily, for a project of that size, we would go to the public bond market. Mm-hmm. That's, that's generally where we fund projects that are of that scale and magnitude, but usually we don't have... Uh, gifts that are coming to bear in such a in such a brief period of time, uh, or the the project itself is is bigger than the total amount of gifts that we've received. In this case, we're going to fundraise the entire cost of the building, so all forty million dollars, and, and all forty million will be paid in that five to seven to ten year window. And so, we felt comfortable approaching the Illinois system uh, to allow us to handle that with an internal loan, and and by doing that we're actually going to save substantially on the interest payments that we'll pay. You consider if you had a, I think everyone knows if you're, if you're involved in a, a 30-year mortgage on your home, you're going to pay a whole lot of interest over the, the course of those 30 years. If you have a 10-year, interest, or 10-year loan on your home, you're going to pay a whole bunch less interest, roughly a third, right? I mean, it actually is a lot less than a third. But, um, and so from a financial perspective, again, thanks to the generosity of our donors, because we're fully funding it through fundraising, and because all those donated dollars will be paid in the next decade, then that allowed us to use a different funding mechanism than we ordinarily would have for a project of this size, which will allow us to save a lot of money. Talking to Josh Whitman, we do have a a caller with a vaccination question, I believe. Uh, Go ahead, Gary, you're on the air. Yeah, I'm all for the showing the vaccination cards, and I think everybody, I get irritated when people don't wear masks. But I think it sends somewhat of a poor message last night. Almost all the cheerleaders and none of the girls' dance team are wearing masks. And I think that's just wrong. So that's my input. I just think if you want all the people to do that, the university ought to be stressing that too with the, you know, the people that are out there that are representing the school. Well, that's a fair point uh, and, and one that I can certainly take back and, and talk with our folks about it. I will remind you that they're all vaccinated. They're all boosted now as a, by virtue of the university's recent mandate. Uh, and anybody who has sought an exception to that for one reason or another is 
being tested uh, at least every other day. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that if they're not engaged in, a, in physical activity in the moment that they're putting a mask on. But uh, you raise a good question and, and one that I'd be happy to take back to our staff and, and inquire about. Gary, well, thanks for the games, call. Two, well, two games ago, all of the cheerleaders but one had a mask on last night. Most of them didn't, and the dance team didn't. And I, I'm vaccinated and boosted and all that, too, but that hasn't that doesn't sometimes save you either. So, okay, thank you. Okay, appreciate that. Uh, Juwan Howard was wearing a mask coaching, except when he was yelling at the referee. <laughs> so, in other words, he wasn't wearing a mask? <laughs> exactly, pretty much. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though. Would you want to be a Big Ten basketball referee, Josh? I mean, is there anything harder to do than call Big Ten basketball it's or college tough. basketball? In general? No, it's it's a tough game. It, it's so athletic and so fast and so physical, and, and the game continues to evolve at, at such a rapid pace that uh, you know they do the best they can. I, I give the Big Ten a lot of credit. We've got a great crew at the Big Ten office that vets our officials, goes through a, an intense screening process, and a lot of fans may not realize that all of our officials, both in basketball and football, every play is evaluated. Uh, and so they're receiving on a, on a game-by-game basis feedback on their performance, and, and those metrics are used to determine who gets the best games and how those how those crews are allocated out over the course of the season and what opportunities they're provided in the future. And so it, uh, it's a tough it's a tough deal, uh, but they, they do a nice job. And uh, it's been fun. You know, last year, uh, in the midst of the sort of the pandemic bubble, uh, we actually had a, a handful of officials who basically were Big Ten-only officials. They agreed to do just Big Ten games. And so we got to see a lot of each other. You know, it was one of those environments where nobody was in the buildings and we're all there a couple hours before the game. And uh, it was a good opportunity, really, to get to know some of these guys on a slightly different level and uh, understand how professional they are and, and how seriously they take their their responsibilities. Well, we're all good friends with Jim Phillips, but he seems to be against the uh, 12-team playoff, doesn't he? Um, where do you stand on that? Do you, you like the 12? you like the 8? You, do you think that there'll be any movement on that in the next year? All great questions. I, I think that I think most people involved in college football agree that expansion is appropriate. I, I think that we all feel like limiting access to only four teams has had some some negative uh, unintended consequences for for the game. Uh, I think we'd like to see that grow. Uh, the challenge that we're we're experiencing is the same thing that you're seeing play out in the media and in through some of the the things that are leaking out. I think from the the various conversations that are happening amongst the the commissioners and in the, the group that will ultimately decide these things, which is just trying to really dig into the details and, and look at eight versus twelve, uh, understand the pros and the cons of each. Uh, try and fit it into our existing academic model, be mindful of the physical toll that that additional games will take on the players, Um, trying to figure out how to fit uh, the the current bowl system into that, and and from our perspective, in particular, the Rose Bowl, Uh, and and then just continuing to where the game's going to be played. Are they going to be played on campuses or at neutral sites? Uh, There's just a long litany of, of things that, are not insurmountable, uh, but each conference, I think, has its own unique view on, on some of those things, and, um, and some of them are, uh, as in any negotiation, are, are more tightly held principles than others. And, uh, and so that has, I think, my understanding is that they've started to reach agreement on some key terms, but there are other key terms that remain very much 
points of tension and, and disagreement. And, and so we'll just have to see how quickly they move to resolve those things. I don't feel any compulsion to try and necessarily change the format prior to the conclusion of the existing media agreement. And which Would is still 2025. That's right. Um, and, and the reality is, and, and we've all seen this, there's a reason that football schedules are put together so far in advance. Even if we were to green light this tomorrow, putting the pieces together to actually make one of these changes work is going to take years of planning. And, and so that, that could mean that we still would reach some resolution in the next year, but that resolution may not actually play its way into reality until post-25 anyway. It's, it's hard to know, to be honest. Talking to Josh Whitman, it is 1021. We'll continue. We'll take about a two-minute break and be back with more. Stay with us right here on DWS. 1023, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We're here as usual until 11 o'clock. Josh Whitman is with us till about 1045 or so. Talking about the schedule changes and things like that and how schedules are made so far in advance and until they're not, <laughs> like the Big Ten schedule was uh, tweaked mm-hmm. earlier this week, Josh, and uh, that worked out okay. It was kind of strange with the schedule that was previously announced of uh, having to go to Penn State three years in a row. So I think the um, at Indiana versus at Penn State trade out was good, but it kind of it jiggled, joggled uh, some of the other games around as well, didn't it? Yeah. So the. You know, the way things have, have transpired here, a lot of this is, is done in response to the schedule changes that we made during the, the pandemic season, the 2020 season. And so originally we were scheduled to go to Penn State two years in a row. We were supposed to go there this most recent season and then this coming season. Uh, if you recall, during the pandemic's shortened season, we ended up going to Penn State as part of that Champions Week that mm-hmm. we put together at the end. And so it wasn't a scheduled game. It was... Uh, kind of a slotted game that that came to be once they saw how the season itself played out. Uh, But once that transpired, then we started having some conversations with the Big Ten staff about, look, that that means we're going to go to an East Division opponent, and we're not only going to play them three years in a row, we're going to go to their place three years in a row. That doesn't feel fair. Uh, And so – uh, that was, and they, and to their credit, they were they were open to that discussion, and and we also realized that we haven't been to Indiana since I've been been here as the athletic director, right? So I came in spring of 2016. This fall will be my seventh football season, and I've not been to Bloomington for a football game, and and for for us to be so close to a school and and not have played there, I think, kind of lays bare one of the challenges that we have in the existing Big Ten format with the divisional play. And, did and you make a complaint on that, or did they just come to it on their own? I don't know if I called it a complaint. We just we just noted the concern and, and okay. said, look, here's here's an issue that, that we think makes some sense. We, we're, you're trying to send us to Penn State three years in a row. We haven't been to Indiana in six years. Uh, is there some way that we can remedy this potentially on, on both sides at the same time? In a different division, they'd probably be in the same division. I mean, if, if, if they were divided up differently, we were once in the same division with Indiana, and it seems like that would be a natural. Yeah, to- no, that's right. That's right. And, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how future scheduling goes. I, I think we were talking about the CFP expansion. I, I think that uh, every power conference as we move into an expanded playoff will need to, to give some really thoughtful conversation to how they're approaching their regular season scheduling and how they're putting as many teams as possible in the best position possible to qualify for that playoff and so that'll be 
an ongoing discussion amongst myself and the other athletic directors and the conference staff as well. Speaking of divisions, do you like the setup the way it is now? Do you think it needs talked about? I, I like the the current setup, um, but I also understand that that again the world evolves, and, and in particular, if if the CFP expands and, and we feel like in one way or another we're disadvantaging our conference from putting as many teams into that playoff as we can, then I, I think it certainly deserves some some reevaluation. Uh, I think it's I think it's served us well. I, I think that a lot of people have thoughts about sort of the East versus West, and but the reality is the numbers don't really bear it out. Uh, if you if you sit back and look at sort of East versus West and and uh, winning percentages and, and the like, it's it's not nearly as lopsided as I think a lot of people might imagine it to be. And uh, the reality is these these teams are cyclical, and and you can make decisions in a moment that seem to make sense in that moment, but over time, generally things tend to balance their way out, and, uh, and, and you'll see certain schools start to, to gain some momentum. Other schools that have, have had some success will, will lose a little bit of speed, and, and that's just the way college football and college sports in general works. And so I, I always hesitate to, to make too many broad-based decisions uh, based on, say, competitive equity, for example, just because I, I think that those things tend to work their way through the system over a period of time. It wasn't that long ago that expansion talk was big, and that you know, indeed a lot of it did happen. Any of that uh, going on among uh, athletic directors now in conversations? Well, let me tell you, Steve. Here are the schools that we're talking to. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I thought maybe we had a scoop coming there. <laughs> no, I, I think that um, uh, you know, obviously, it's it's continues to be a very interesting time and. In college athletics, and, and the SEC set some some dominoes off this summer with their moves with Texas and, and Oklahoma, and, and now we're starting to see uh, a lot of Group of Five schools realign as well. You're starting to see some Division Two and Division Three schools trying to cross that bridge into Division One as well. Um, there's just a, a pretty strong sense of reshuffling that that's happening. I think every school has its own motivation. Um, there is, I think, a sense amongst the membership that as we gain more autonomy in the Division One level, which seems to be coming through the new constitutional process that the NCAA has undertaken, that that gaining access to Division One and to Division One resources may become more limited. Uh, and so it almost feels like people are trying to cross that bridge before the doors get locked in some ways. And, and I, I think that's... Um, you know, just one of many dynamics that are at, at play right now. And, and so it's, it's going to be a, an ongoing evolution, I think, here over the next several years. I, I don't think realignment is done. Uh, I don't know that any of the power leagues will be major players in, in that effort, but you, you don't know that they won't either. And so uh, I think, and again, I think a lot of it is tied back to uh, the CFP and, and that expansion model. And, and once we get a sense of what that's going to look like, how qualification for that group is, is going to occur, then I think each conference is going to have to step back and determine for itself strategically what's the best way for us to put ourselves in a position to gain as much access to that as we possibly can. I'm going to throw gambling at you. You talked to uh, Jeff D'Alessio about this uh, in your interview with him recently, and and I know you were uh, very much against the idea of, of gambling at the college level, uh, particularly at the University of Illinois, around the University of Illinois athletics. Where do you? Uh, where do you, uh, There's no stopping it, is there? 
you know, I, I was just talking with somebody about this the other day, and I think that um, it, it doesn't feel like it. You know, it really doesn't feel like it. it. It's really remarkable since the Supreme Court a few years ago uh, essentially deregulated uh, the the state or the uh, the federal prohibition on sports gambling. They they now have have started to see it pop up in states across the country, and, and it how quickly it has mainstreamed has surprised even me. I, I think the the level to which it's dominated the, the the popular media. You now have gambling broadcasts on ESPN. You've got yeah. sponsors, of course. I saw Michigan State just the other day came out with a, a gambling uh, sponsor. I think it was Caesars. Uh, it, it feels like you know the snowball is is rolling. And and I don't look. I'm not naive to that. I I understand all that. Uh, I don't love it. I I do think that. And and people will say, well, gambling's occurring illegally already, or or they're saying that uh, people could just jump across the state line and and go place a bet in Indiana. And and again, I, I I'm not unaware of those things. I I think that sometimes, as a state, one of the functions of our laws is to demonstrate or or I guess symbolize what our values are and uh, I think in this case as someone who works with these 18 to 23 year olds every day I would prefer for us to say as a state our value is their health and well-being and I don't think that this particular law accomplishes that um now, just imagine last night if you knew in advance as a gambler that Hunter Dickinson wasn't going to play Imagine the effect that that would have on the spread. Well, and, and, and I think more to your point, imagine how many people probably did have access to that information, largely because it's a college program as you opposed to a professional program. Well, I just mean, you know, you think about a college program, you've got student managers, you've got uh, student athletic department employees who have been around that team all week at practice, probably had some sense of whether he was going to go, whether he wasn't going to go. They all live in apartments. They live in frat houses. They live in residence halls. They Players talk. talk. Players talk. I think that's – look, I've, I have no problem with gambling on professional sports. I, I think there's just a – to me, there's a distinction between professional and college athletes. And uh, I, I think it's it's troubling that the athletes themselves now obviously they can't gamble because they're involved in it. But there's also a state age limit. You have to be 21 years old, and we're gambling on people who are 18. Now that that to me feels a little disjointed. Uh, you know, these a year ago a lot of these these folks were going to their high school prom, and now people are betting hundreds of thousands of dollars on whether they're going to make a free throw or m- miss a kick or whatever the the thing might be. So again, it's I, I, I'm a, I'm a realist. I understand what's happening around our games, but I, I think that sometimes our laws have the added intent of signaling to society what we value. And in this case, I think we should value our student-athletes. And, uh, and, and, and I think in fairness, there are some conversations that have started, and I'm, I'm grateful for this, with some of our state's lawmakers about maybe the opportunity to develop some parallel legislation that may provide some opportunities for us to look out for our student athletes and in, in, in some ways protect them or, or assist them uh, in the pressure cooker that we've created and, and now that we're intensifying with the addition of, of gambling. Something else we were not talking about 
six years ago when you took the job as the athletic director at your alma mater. That's a long list, just for the record. It is. It really is. Of course, we got the pandemic uh, at the top of that list, but the transfer portal is kind of a new term since that time, and you've always been able to transfer in, in athletics, but your thoughts on the way that's working now, and and is the way it's working now the the way it's going to have to go, or is there a better, better model out there somewhere? Well, I, I think first, and I, I don't know that a lot of people realize the context of the decision to create the transfer portal. And, and so when the NCAA originally drafted its rule book, the original rule, which is still on the books, is that every student athlete, regardless of sport, when they transferred, would have to sit what was called a year in residence before they were eligible to compete at their new institution. This was true in every sport. And over time, what happened is that we continued to pass a series of exceptions to the rule. Uh, And so all of a sudden, you looked up, and for the last 10 or 15 years, we've allowed the open transfer concept in every sport except for five. Uh, and so if you were a softball player, soccer player, tennis player, track, volleyball, on down the list, for over a decade, you've been able to transfer and compete right away in your sport. There were only five sports that were left with the original year-in-residency requirement to, to gain eligibility at a new institution. Those five sports were football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey, uh, all, depending on the school, revenue-generating sports, and it got very difficult for us to point to those five and provide a valid justification for why we were holding those student-athletes back while we were allowing all these other student-athletes in these other 20, 25, whatever the number is, sports to transfer and compete right away. We, we felt like from, from an equitable perspective, they're all student-athletes, they're all playing college athletics, how can we treat them differently? And in, and in candor, I, I think that a lot of us would have preferred to go back to the original rule across the board and say, look, we're going to require everybody to sit. Because I, I believe in the value of that. I, I think that in some ways part of our job as educators is to teach our student-athletes to work through the hard stuff. Right. That's That's a big part of being involved in college athletics is to learn how to confront adversity to work through challenging circumstances, to persevere. And I think in some cases, the open transfer gives people an escape hatch, right? If all of a sudden things aren't going the way they want to after a single semester in college, they pack up and they go somewhere else. Some of them are going two and three times. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know, I, I heard, and I won't name names, but I, I was in a conversation one time with a very high-profile coach in our conference, not somebody at Illinois, and he chuckled and he said, you know who's unhappy? Every freshman. You know, he, he said because they've all gone from, uh, yeah. you know, from being the superstar at their school to playing a small role at the college level because the water's gotten a lot deeper and it, it's a lot harder to, to be effective as a young person. And But after a semester, after a year, they're saying this isn't for me. And, and it, it's not to say that transfer isn't in some cases a very – viable option it is and sometimes it's it's the right option um but i think that you know we realized that that putting that toothpaste back in the tube so to speak for all however many sports the ncaa sponsors didn't make any sense that that wasn't a viable option at the end of the day and so really the only alternative 
was to to open it up to everybody. Now, I I think there will continue to be some tweaks. Uh, I, I remember being on this program a couple years ago, and, and I think we talked about one idea that, that I've always had, which is to have kind of a, a stepped approach where if if you're in your first three or four semesters and you want to transfer, you have to sit when you go to the new school. But if you've been at the place you are for four semesters or more, by that point, presumably you have a pretty good sense of what it is and what it is or isn't and, and can make a more informed, unemotional decision about whether to leave. And at that point, then you should be able to go right away and compete. So it's a it's a complicated situation as are many of the things we're facing today. But it's been uh, it's been eye opening, and, and it certainly has created a new dynamic, particularly in some of our higher profile sports. Makes some of us old timers wonder about loyalty anymore. <laughs> what has happened to loyalty? Well, and I think you know, obviously, the counter argument to that is that loyalty runs both ways, yeah. right? And and so uh, we, we see a lot of coaches make some decisions. They're all free agents, that, aren't they? That don't appear to <laughs> to uh, demonstrate very much loyalty either, and so. Uh, you know, it's one of those things we we have to ask them to to do what we say, not what we do, and that that doesn't always pass muster either. You know, kind of an underreported uh, part of the transfer portal is not so much the number of athletes that are in the portal, but the number of athletes in the portal that don't find a place to go. Number of athletes who never come out of the portal. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And that that's got to be up there quite a bit. I, I, it is, and, and I think it will become an increasingly important part of the story is is a recognition that, you know, essentially the transfer portal is a game of musical chairs, right? Every, everybody gets in, and they all want to find a place to sit when the music stops, yep. and there's only so many places to sit down. Uh, and so a, a much underreported part of that experience is that there is a tremendous number of people who get in the portal and never find a new opportunity. And... You know, the one thing that the NCAA provided us as part of the transfer portal experience is, okay, you have now tremendous freedom to put yourself in the portal. What we get in exchange is, is we get the right to, to take back your scholarship at the end of that term. And so if uh, a football player puts himself in the portal at the end of the first semester, say December 1st, then when that we'll pay for the rest of that semester. But once that semester is over, we can take his aid back, and and so essentially they're flying without a net, right? They they are stepping out without any any protection that they're going to have a place to to land. Now, if if something doesn't go their way, or if they have a change of heart, they can come back and and ask us to put them back on scholarship, but we have no obligation to do that. And so it's in that sense, it's uh, and again, everybody knows the game. Everybody goes into it with their eyes open. They understand what the risks are. Um, and it's, uh, it's a high-stakes deal uh, on all sides, and um, I, I just hope that the athletes it's, – it's a, it's a good teaching tool because, as we all know who have lived a little bit longer in life, the grass isn't always greener. Uh, and, and sometimes, like I said at the beginning, you, you've got to work through the hard stuff to get to the good things on the other side. We know we've got to let you go here in a second. Uh, talk about what the pandemic – how you've recovered – and I, I say recovered, it's not over yet, but how the pandemic has affected financially and, and what you've been able to do in terms of personnel and and, and cuts and, and that sort of thing. And, and, you, and basically you've gotten out pretty pretty clean as far, better than most, let's say, in terms of, uh, of, of financial losses due to the pandemic. 
better than most. There, there's no question. I, I give a lot of credit to our, our staff, our coaches, our student athletes. We were very aggressive <clears throat> last year in the measures that we implemented to counteract the loss of revenue that we experienced as a result of the pandemic and, and not having people in the stands and the loss of concessions and parking and merchandise and everything that goes with that. And so we were able last year to, to cut over $17 million from our budget uh, through a variety of, of operational changes. Uh, but probably the most notable are, you know, we, we ask staff to give a portion of their salary back to the athletic department. And it was volunteer. We didn't force anybody to do it. Uh, we only approached those people who made uh, above a, a certain income. Was that $80,000? Uh, $80,000. Yeah. You had all but one? Is that all, right? All but one said yes. I won't we, ask who the one is. No. <laughs> um, but it was... It was impressive. I mean, it was really, I, I thought, a, uh, a nice snapshot of the culture that we've developed in our, in our athletic program. Uh, and then we went through a, a number of different measures. We did some reorganization. We eliminated some positions. We, we left a lot of vacancies unfilled when people would leave for other, for other opportunities. Um, and we've started to build some of that back now. But uh, at the end of the day last year, we, we lost about $15 million through the pandemic. And, and as we've calculated it, we believe that to be second lowest amongst our Big Ten colleagues. Uh, and, and so we felt really good. And, and many of our Big Ten peers had deficits, pandemic in, incurred deficits that were two, three, four times that much. And, and so uh, obviously you never like to lose money and, and it'll take some time for us to to supplant those that loss, but uh, all things considered, if you can find uh, a positive in the midst of an incredibly negative circumstance, we felt uh, really pleasantly surprised and, and, again, very grateful to our people for the work they were able to do on that front. Josh, as always, we appreciate your time. Always good to catch up with you, and we'll see you again uh, before long, Monday at the State Farm Center. Monday, Monday morning. State Farm Center, Monday morning, an <laughs> unusual morning game. It'll uh, they, they call us in the fall, and they ask if this is something that we would be interested in doing. I think they're going to do maybe a quadruple header or mm-hmm. something on television, and we're the, we're the kickoff event, and, and obviously with it being MLK Day, a great day to celebrate a lot of different things and a uh, and chance to be on national television, Big Fox. Uh, marquee game, uh, and obviously one that always carries a little bit of extra importance for me. Just being from from West Lafayette, it's uh, one that I always have circled on my calendar. So we're looking forward to it, and uh, again, appreciate everyone's support. And, and it was a great crowd last night. We're looking forward to having just as many people in the house on Monday, and bring bring their vo- vocal cords. We're going to need people to be loud. It'll be it'll be exciting. Thanks again, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. 10.45, we'll take a break, and Lauren and I will be back to uh, wrap things up here in the next segment. Uh, we'll have the phone lines open if you'd like to join us. Back after this. It is moving up on 10.50. Got the phone lines open for the next 10 minutes uh, before we step out of here on this Saturday, January the 15th, if you uh, would like to join us. Thanks to uh, Josh Whitman for spending uh, a good portion of of the hour with us. What you learn from him is that that is a very complicated and complex job that he's got. It involves so many things. He's, you know where he's going from right now? He's going to a women's swim meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of uh, all 19 sports he's following and, uh, and what he's done for all those sports in terms of facilities. And it looks like sometimes that he's spent an awful lot of money. Uh, I mean, that they're going into a lot of debt, but and nevertheless, he's he's taking care of all the different sports, whether it's soccer or whether it's 
whether it's, you know, whatever sport it is. Yep. Illinois has got some uh, football players in uh, postseason action coming up. Yeah, what, seven or eight, nine? How many? Yeah, there's the Hula Bowls today. There's three or four in that. And I got that list here somewhere I'll get for Elshefsky, you. Elshevsky, Kramer, yeah. Lowe. We've got all kinds of players in them. Yep, a lot of guys uh, getting set for that. Uh, some of the uh, scores, if you missed the scores from last night, of course you know that uh, Illinois won over Michigan 68-53, and Purdue beat Nebraska 92-65. to A couple of games today, Northwestern at Michigan State, Rutgers at Maryland, tomorrow Iowa at Minnesota, Penn State at Ohio State. Joe B. Hall, the coach of Kentucky, passed away in the last 24 hours. Kirk Ferentz with a contract extension. 2029, come on. Rest of the decade, he's out there. and uh, I, There was even talk that maybe after next year he'd be done. <laughs> he's not, he's not, he's not going to stop anytime soon, is he? Well, he keeps uh, putting it out there. That, I mean, you know what you get with, when, with those Iowa teams and it's a good defensive ball club, and he's got a seven-year extension through the 2029 season, seven mil per season. Per season. Let's go uh, back to the phones here at uh, 1051. Marty is with us. What do you say, Marty? I missed that last part. I was on hold. Who got the seven-year extension? Kirk Ferentz. Oh, he's going to be coaching until he's old. old. Lauren, he'll be up to your age by then. He'll be 90, won't he? (laughs) By the way, Josh Whitman uh, uh, wanted wanted us to pass along greetings to his children, Will and Tate. That's right. Who were listening this morning and – we got busy and didn't get that in, but uh, we'll get that in. And uh, you'll see your dad before the day's over. <laughs> He's a busy guy. But, Marty, what's on your phone, on your hey, mind? Uh, well, I just you guys may have to. We're going to get, uh, you know, a couple of inches, three inches of snow. Oh, come on. For you guys, but down here, it's it's a big deal. But then we're getting a quarter inch of ice on top of that. So uh, I may not be able to watch the game Monday. I may not have electricity. So I want you guys to carry the load for me. <laughs> Well, there's a good chance it's a game I'd love to see. Well, you'll be okay by then. They'll, they'll figure it out down there. Well, we hope so. By the way, uh, the guy that called in about the mask thing, since the CDC announced this week finally, although a lot of people knew it, that cloth masks do no good against the airborne virus, almost zero. You need an N95 or surgical quality thing. Why are they worrying about masks anymore anyway? Because I don't think very many people got those quality masks. But anyway, that's that's off the subject. Uh, tell the uh, tell the folks listening that Lawrence, I, I hate it when he's right all the time. But teams don't always have good games. From game to game, they can let down and be disappointing. It's it's a matter of can you win the game. That's all that really matters. Does the ball go in? <laughs> that's yeah. You know, I I thought that uh, Michigan got a lot of close shots. They were they were harassed all the time, but they got inside for an awful lot of shots, and they actually outscored, listen to this, they outscored Illinois and Kofi in the paint decisively. Well, they were driving the ball. Yes. They've got got talented freshmen. I mean, the reason they were rated to be a national contender, even though they lost so many people, is because they had such a great recruiting class. But freshmen are still freshmen. Yeah. And they got to learn how to finish it. And the Big Ten is not like high school. No, I, there's, a, there's an advantage having all this experience that Illinois has this year. And yeah. as somebody noted, uh, they're going to have to rebuild next year, but we worry about next year well, when it comes. You know, I don't think they should worry. They've got some really talented freshmen on the Illinois team. They're just not getting a lot of playing time because there's so many people in front of them. 
Well, we'll and see how. Good class of guards coming in next year. So that yeah. Look, Underwood can coach. He uh, can coach. I think if you won nineteen out of twenty games in the Big Ten against Big Ten opponents, I'd say that's pretty good coaching. Yeah. What happened to that other game? How do we lose to Michigan State? Come on, we were better uh, than Michigan State. Well, they kind of they kind of put the uh, the old piston rules in, you know, the Michael Jordan rules in that game. They kind of did that to Illinois last year. They kind of beat them up. They did. You bet. We'll, we'll see what happens this year. Okay, hey, Marty. You guys make it a great great day. Yep. Thanks, survive Marty. survive that hazardous weather down there. <laughs> It's nothing to you guys, but I'm telling you down here, if you'd see people try to drive on an inch of snow, you'd laugh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Laugh. All right, we'll talk to you. Thanks. Let's go All back right. to the phones. Uh, Steve is with us. Go ahead, Steve. Question for Lauren. Yeah, I just got – last week everybody was up in a roar about the Fierce kid declaring to go to Michigan State. Yeah. When Ty Rogers left Michigan to come to Illinois and Michigan State thought they had him, was there just as much noise in, at Michigan State about Rogers going to Illinois as the Illinois people of fears going to Michigan State? Oh, I have no idea. I, I don't know what their reaction was. I mean, they are in – look, <laughs> when you offer 40 players and one of them says he's not coming <laughs> and you can only take two or three or whatever the number is, I mean, I just don't get excited about a recruit. I'll tell you the guy that I thought we were really, really, really close on. We had him at one time, Ty Ty Washington, who went to uh, Kentucky. He's having a terrific. Now, we could have really, really used him because he's turned out to be one heck of a player. But everybody doesn't turn out that way. This Houston was a top five recruit, right? Mm -hmm. When he came to Michigan, well, how's he doing? You know, he's having all kinds of trouble. And Diabati is is a a good, promising future player, and he did give – uh, Kofi some problems trying to guard him because he's a little more mobile than Kofi's used to. But he's not a great player yet as a freshman. He's not. Yeah, a lot of people were saying Houston, uh, if he would have been able to jump straight to the NBA, would have been a lottery pick last year. Is that right? Yeah. Holy cow. Well, Diabati, it was uh, the first mock draft I saw, he was in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how highly he's regarded. That's two of the guys, that's two of the freshmen from Michigan that didn't cause Illinois any problems last night. I mean, no serious problems at all. Hey, Steve, got to take a break. Thanks. Appreciate the call. Okay. We'll take uh, one final break and be back with some final words after this. Got about 90 seconds left here on this edition of the program. We'll be back at the uh, Esquire on Monday after a day full of basketball. Deion Thomas is going to be our guest at the Esquire after the ball game so a lot of activity going on on martin luther king day on monday got the uh, nfl playoffs i'll say this afternoon two games today three games tomorrow and one game monday high school basketball urbana beat champagne central last night 42 to 40 tuscola won over shelbyville all the scores and game write-ups in today's news gazette or at news gazette news hyphen gazette.com Thanks to Mike Kegley from IlliniGuys.com, to uh, Brett Bielma for being on with us for about 15 minutes, also to a former Illini, now Hall of Famer. He's not a former Hall of Famer. He's a former player who's now a current Hall of Famer, Mo Gardner, and thanks to Josh Whitman as well. You get to bed early on Sunday night because I want you fresh and ready Monday morning. I'm an early riser. They can play that thing at 8 o'clock. I'd be okay with it. <laughs> You'd be there. I would. 
That's going to do it on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to Dave Leak for helping us with the phone calls and getting things on the air. This is Steve Kelly for everybody involved. Have a good weekend, everybody.